Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always and thank you for joining me as always. <laughs> How's everybody doing? Good, I hope. I hope everyone's doing good. Um, another bumper edition, wall-to-wall racing, as I said last time, because it pretty much is, you know, we had all this time without any racing and now it's kind of just clogging up the weekends, you know, social life becomes non-existent, not that, you know, it is existent here at the moment, um, given the the situation which is changing and getting worse day by day, but we persist, we persist indeed, but yeah, wall-to-wall racing, Grand Prix on the weekend, um, that's just gone past in Austria again, the Grand Prix of Steiermark, gonna review that one for you guys, then a bit of a preview for the Hungarian Grand Prix this weekend, um, typically, Hungary is more towards the end of July, you know, not the middle of July, so a bit of an adjustment there, but heading to a new track at least for this season, you know, because two, two races at the same track, by the end of it, you kind of get, <laughs> you kind of get your mind warped by going around the same place, um, however many times, so what's, what's 71 times two? I'm not very good at maths, 142, I think, yep. I didn't have to use a calculator for that. Good. Uh, yeah, so 142 laps in total we've had as far as racing is concerned at the Red Bull Ring. Another useless stat that you guys can use, I'm sure. Um, Hungary this weekend and also Supercars Championship as well. A lot to talk about that. More so about off-track stuff and what the situation here in Australia, you know, the eastern states uh, we'll have, you know, what kind of impact is that going to have on the championship moving on, and, you know, other things, IndyCar, MotoGP, MotoGP this weekend as well, a little bit on that at the end of the show, and IndyCar over the weekend, which was exciting to see too, so, Grand Prix of Steiermark getting right to the top, hitting our marks, <laughs> bad joke, um, and, I said it, you know, heading into the weekend, um, and I'm sure a lot of people did too, that expect Lewis Hamilton to bounce back after the weekend that he had at the Austrian Grand Prix the week before, and indeed, it was it was purely a masterclass, you know, nothing more, nothing less, uh, dominant pole that he got in the wet, which, you know, wet qualifying, got a clap our hands and uh, doff our hats to the stewards, to the FIA for... Um, you know, allowing them to go out and qualifying, you know, at a, there was a point there where I felt that maybe we wouldn't see any running at all on Saturday, given how catastrophic the weather was, the F3 race got red flagged, uh, they were able to do the F2 at the end of the day after F1 qualifying, but yeah, we got a really good qualifying session, um, and Lewis Hamilton, you know, over a second or a second and a half, I think, was on pole, Um Mixed results, you know, Carlos Sainz, star for McLaren, P3, uh, then you had the issues with the Ferraris, and, you know, I'll talk a bit about Ferrari and their race, obviously, with their first lap DNF there uh, at Turn 3, it, it was a, you know, shocker of a weekend for those guys, it was like watching two clumsy mules um, kind of just dawdling around the track, you know, with no sense of direction or purpose, Um crisis point, you know, do you start 
attaching that label to their situation? Is it is it getting to a stage where it is going to boil over? There's going to be frustration. There's going to be fingers pointed, names named, all that sort of stuff. So a bit about them a bit later, but the race itself, Lewis Hamilton, dominant win, not really bothered during the race either. Mercedes as a whole just seemed more comfortable than they did um, the week before at the Red Bull Ring. Of course, a week's worth of, uh, a weekend's worth of data that they can go off, they learn. Um, there was no change in tyre compounds as well for this weekend, which would have helped as well. But the drivers too, they learn they know that they can't really attack the curbs as hard as they were initially um, at the start of the season, but now they were like, okay, let's uh, keep it in the confines of the racetrack and not be as aggressive, but still, they were fast. They were fast in the race, um, pull out to a good lead. Uh, Valtteri Bottas, though, he started from fourth, so there was a bit of work that he needed to do to get um, himself onto the podium um, and ultimately to take second as well uh, for a Mercedes 1-2. Uh, <laughs> hang on, uh, right, I was like, new deal, new deal, what, 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 what's that, apparently Valtteri Bottas will have a new deal for next year, so, I mean, based off, you know, the first two races alone, he leads the championship, he's won a race, you're not gonna sack him, or, you know, say your services are not required for next year. I think we're seeing a much stronger Valtteri this year already, albeit we've been at a track which he's been stronger than Lewis in the past, but I'm sure as the season goes on, we'll see him stay in the current mould that he is. But yeah, you know, a bit of a... Um, bit of a race on his hands, obviously with Max Verstappen, lap 67, Max kind of compromised by his tyres, faded a little bit, and then his front wing, there was some damage too, which meant that um, he was there for the picking, and Bottas gets by, takes P2, very good, very good. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure there's going to be people out there who's like, oh, we're back to the F1 snooze fest and everything. Oh, you know, if I can get up or not get up, if I can stay up till past one o'clock in the morning to watch the checkered flag being won, I'm sure, you know, any other diehard, diehard fan can do the same thing as well. I mean, if, if you're not interested, then just tune out. Simple as that. You know, you don't need to keep being critical given the fact that you know the category and I've said this a lot you know maybe not on the podcast but you know when talking to people um here and there I said you know the sport is still trying to correct itself on mistakes that it made under previous management you know and sometimes that does take a long time to do so and you know undoing the damage of the previous commercial rights holders you know they basically let it sink to to where it is and now you know we you know an uncompetitive formula one you know it's true to a certain degree when you look at the the front of the championship but then when you look at the midfield what we've got there and again over the weekend it was such a great um, battle amongst those guys for positions five, you know, even position four you could count, even though Albon, Alex Albon ended up getting it, you know, P4, P5, all the way down to P10, you know, it's really tightly contested, and you've got, you know, teams like Racing Point, who've been so strong, obviously, you know, their pink Mercedes concept has been under scrutiny, it came under scrutiny again over the weekend, um, Renault putting in a um, 
protest post-race. It's been deemed admissible by the FIA and the stewards, so it means that, you know, it can be put forward before, like, a jury or a, a hearing or something. And Racing Point's response was that, you know, the protest has been misconceived and poorly informed, um, or Renault's um, perceptions and beliefs in regards to the legality of the the racing point car and yeah a lot of people are debating it at the moment given that some people are of the belief that well it kind of goes against what an f1 constructor is all about you know as a constructor you construct your own car you know you can throw Haas into that argument as well and that that they don't actually build their own car they get it you know they have the chassis built by Delara but for racing point to go out and copy essentially the 2019 Mercedes and use that this year that's what's you know irked a lot of people but they claim you know they just they did build everything you know obviously they get Mercedes gearboxes and um, power units and everything else they build so you know just a lot of photos that they use to to build uh, the car off and I think maybe the front end of the car is a bit different or I'm not too sure about that but it's certainly going to be a narrative to to follow throughout the season. Renault, obviously, with their own problems too. It was unfortunate seeing Esteban Ocon out um, of the race again, you know, with reliability problems that we saw Daniel Ricciardo have last week. Ocon was quick. He was inside the top 10. Uh, there was a bit of a fight there with his teammate Ricciardo. Uh, Ricciardo quicker on a different tyre, wanting to get past. Ocon not yielding until team orders got involved. But yeah, then there was the um, mechanical DNF, which saw him not finish the race anyway. So it's only won a lot of points for Renault, which, you know, given the context of things, I think they'll have to take. But McLaren, you know, they, I said, and I'm going to stick by it for the whole season, I hope, is that they're going to be really consistent during the races. They drop behind Racing Point on pace, obviously, during the race. Uh, and we knew from practice that they didn't have the same pace as the the racing point car. But again, Lando Norris, last lap Lando, scenario seven, whatever whatever they call it, uh, gets himself into fifth. You know, after dropping down. Oh, sorry, he didn't even start that high up. He was uh, <laughs> he had a penalty actually. He had a grid penalty coming into the race for for overtaking under yellow flag. Same thing that happened to, to Lewis Hamilton last week, except they actually gave the penalty right after practice instead of hanging around until, you know, 10 minutes before the race start. So Lando takes P5, um, stunning last lap. You know, he had to overtake a couple of cars. It was Lance Stroll there, Sergio Perez, of course, who ended up getting damage as a result of his pass attempt on Alex Albon so Checo looked so strong during the race potential P4 on the cards but it just went awry for him Albon survives uh, but Perez was the one who ended up getting the front wing damage and um, was still able to hang on to his position after that you know which was a bit of a surprise so you know he ended up in sixth you had Lance Stroll Daniel Ricciardo fighting uh, for seventh and eighth Ricardo initially ahead, but there was a bit of a botched move um, by Stroll to take P7, which of course was going to leave Renault a bit more filthier than they already were, given that they uh, a don't like what Racing Point are doing with their car, and b their driver's just gone and done a dodgy move to um, 
to finish a position ahead, given that um, points are pretty crucial. But again, good result from McLaren. Carlos Sainz down in ninth, despite qualifying third. That was, you know, you could expect it with the pace of the cars that qualified behind him being quicker anyway um and he got the caveat of fastest lap at least so at least an extra point to go his way but um i just forgot to checo checo perez his qualifying he qualified down in 17th and ended up finishing in the top six so stellar drive from him driver of the day kind of drive of course as well um and apparently in a bit of strife I wouldn't call it strife, but, you know, speculation about his future uh, story going around um, this week about Sebastian Vettel, who Red Bull ruled him out, you know, other teams have ruled him out for next year, but now Aston Martin, who will be formed from Racing Point for next year, um, have said that they've had some kind of talks or this uh, motorsport.com reported that there's been talks between Vettel and and Racing Point for next year and the odd one out in this situation would be Perez there's been some kind of clause that he can activate in his contract because he's still got a multi-year contract with the team Um, and I've said all along and when Perez got that new deal that this would be his last deal. It would see him through to the end of his F1 career, especially with a team that he's been very loyal to. Coming there in 2014 after the failure that he had at McLaren um, at the start of their downturn too. So this would be disappointing if uh, they have to make way for Vettel via Perez because you're not going to get rid of the team owner's uh, son who drives the other car, Lance Stroll, in this instance. You know, there was, the idea was kind of briefly entertained over the weekend, um, but it seems like everyone is jumping on the conclusion that that's not going to happen. But it's a bit disappointing that, because you want it to be about performance and accountability. Um, Stroll, I've said, he's got to be a bit more consistent this year. He's got a good car under his belt. Uh, we saw a mega drive from Checo, 17th to, to 6th there. Stroll, not, you know, he did out-qualify Perez, but, you know, wet conditions. Stroll's been pretty good in wet conditions here and there. Just look at Monza a few years ago when he was in the Williams. And finished seventh in the race and it took a bit of a dodgy move on Ricardo to be able to get that position so I'm gonna have to see a bit more from Stroll but it looks like his uh, position within the team's already shored up anyway so but yeah to bring in someone like Vettel obviously would be a big deal um it put him in the Mercedes-Benz uh driver camp as well given that racing point or Aston Martin next year will be racing with those uh, uh Mercedes power units at the same time, you know, Seb, four-time world champion and all that, he just, at the moment, doesn't seem like he's all there. Like, the move on the weekend uh, that saw both Ferraris DNF'd in the first lap wasn't Seb's fault. I know that people quickly jump on the bandwagon and be like, oh, it's Seb's fault again. No, no, not in this instance. And we did see Charles Leclerc quite humble after the race um, in his admission that, it was his fault. He made the wrong move. Trying to go up the inside at turn three when there was three cars abreast going through there. It wasn't going to happen. So took pretty much Vettel's rear wing off. And um, yeah, both of them out of the race as a result of it. So, you know, Seb, 
you kind of want him to be on the grid next year. Uh, the options are thin, but at the same time, if it comes at the expense of Checo, which I think will, you know, given how much Checo's done for that team, the finances he brings as well has surely helped them over the years as well. The podiums, the results that he's brought, it's it's a bit of a hard one, um, a bit of a bitter pill to swallow in that instance. But again, four-time world champion, Seb, if there's a competitive enough, competitive enough seat out there, I'm sure people will want to, to have him on the grid, especially when you've got Fernando Alonso returning as well. And, you know, Kimi Raikkonen maybe do another year there with Alfa Romeo, given that the rules are still the same. Does he want to see the 2022 regs? And Lewis Hamilton, of course, as well, uh, you'd imagine would stay for another season, unless, of course, he drops out at the end of this year. And that quickly got into a discussion about 2021 driver market. <laughs> I thought we were talking about the race here. I mean, it was it wasn't the greatest race. It was it was good, but not as good as um, the first Austria race either. But yeah, good results there for Checo. Uh, seemed like talking up Checo a lot. <laughs> not that he needs it, but yeah, you know, hopefully he stays put. But you know, there's another rumor says he might be on Red Bull's radar. There you go. But then Albon, what's Albon done wrong? Even though he wasn't really on the pace of the top three, um, finished quite a way behind, actually. Well, not as far behind as he was before Max made a second pit stop to put on some soft tyres, have a crack at faster slap, which didn't pay off. So, yeah, you know, there'll be a bit of work to be done on his side of the garage. And Danny Kvyat finishing 10th as well, so more points or a point for Alpha Tauri. Uh, crucially ahead of the Ferrari-powered cars, Alfa Romeo and Haas outside the points. I guess the only positive that Haas can take away from this race is that they at least finished with both cars, um, but the pace still a way off. And, you know, they seem like, you know, from what we've heard is that the tyre issues that they had last year definitely sorted. Now, different issues, you know, and perhaps, you know, the Ferrari power unit not being up to standard at the moment might be another uh, problem with that. But, you know, what is up to standard? Apparently last year their standard was (laughs) doing some shifty stuff, you know, burning oil when the sensor wasn't picking it up. So there you go. One of the highlights, though, um, and I don't want to not talk about this, is George Russell in qualifying. First time he got out of Q1, ended up qualifying P11 due to um, a penalty for Charles Leclerc for doing what Lando Norris did. Um, no, sorry, he Leclerc was impeding. He impeded Kvyat during qualifying, so that was the three-place grid penalty that he got. Um, but, yeah, P11 for Russell, great start, but then he plummeted in the race, wasn't good, ended up having a bit of a tangle with Kevin Magnussen, put him in the kitty litter, and then as a result, was consigned to the rear of the field um, with his teammate, Nicholas Latifi, who I've got to say, and I haven't forgotten, <laughs> last week on the show, I said that he was last year's F2 champion, there was a bit of wishful thinking there from me, so... Um, and a few people pointed out that, um, no, it was actually De Vries who did that, so that was my bad, I wasn't trying to talk up Latifi to to the point where, you know, I'm starting to make up stuff, but yeah, it was just an honest mistake, um, I thought Latifi did do it, he won the final race though of the season, 
uh, in Abu Dhabi, and that's, I think, what made me think in my mind that um, he was the champion, but no, that is not the case. Nick DeVries won by quite a big margin, so, and I do like uh, DeVries quite a lot, even since he was um, at McLaren, you know, it felt like he was there for, for ages and ages, and it didn't look like he aged at all, so um, he's doing well this year in Formula E, hope he does a bit better in the last few races that we're going to have, but um, yeah, that clears that up, Russell dropped to the back of the grid, um, and that's that, I think that's the wrap for, for the race there in in Austria, move on to Hungary now, and uh, different track altogether, more like an old school go-kart track, which is good, it's very technical, it's, um, it's going to suit, you know, someone like Red Bull, which it did last year, they ended up on pole with Max, but Mercedes have had a happy hunting ground here, um, Lewis Hamilton holds the record of wins, seven wins in total, going for eight as well, which, you know, would make it one of his most successful tracks, and given Mercedes' all-round performance in Austria, I don't see it being very easy to get past them, um, I think it might be just a Hamilton-Bottas battle, Bottas probably not as good as, you know, you would think around here, it's more of a Hamilton track, so could this be the race that we see Hamilton take back leader of the championship, he's six points behind, um, coming out of the Austrian doubleheader, um, but, and for Red Bull, they've not had a win here since 2014, uh, that, uh, awesome win by Daniel Ricciardo in the change Changeable conditions last time as well that we saw Fernando Alonso on an F1 podium. There's a good stat for you if you want to go back and watch that race. It was very entertaining. Um, And in the race last year, Max had the pole. He was in the lead, going about his business. Mercedes did one arm. got one up on them uh, strategy-wise, so there was uh, um, extra pit stop, I think, they took, and Max left out there on the after one stop and ended up having his tyres fade towards the end of the race, so that was um, their undoing. But, you know, whole new year, we'll see what happens this time. It would be good to see Red Bull get a win, especially seeing as they're still trying to claw back ground in the Constructors' and Drivers' Championship. Uh, Max ended up with that podium jumping up to 6th, I believe, still behind the likes of Checo and, and Lando Norris too, with that result, he's still 3rd that he got in Austria, or Steiermark, <laughs> so it's looking good for those guys, and as far as the midfield is concerned, Renault, reliability, it's going to go hand in hand, I think, throughout the whole year, unless they can get on top of it, they need to get both cars in the points, I know it's only been two races, but given that it's going to be a shortened season we don't even know if we're going to get 15 events in as well um we've got news that we're going to go to Mugello and Sochi they've been added to the calendar um after the race at Monza so they'll happen in September I don't have the dates with me right now but you know you already know them anyway so or you've put them written them down in your diaries your notebooks whiteboards if you've got them mobile phone that would be that would be practical I think <laughs> <laughs> and those funky watches that people wear that, you know, do more than just tell the time. A smartwatch, that's it. You gotta love my sarcasm. Um so yeah, Magello Sochi. Magello, which I'm really excited about, you know, all the years spent watching it on MotoGP. I've just got this image of the cars on the start and then in the first few laps, you know, just charging down towards San Donato, which is turn one, and it's a it's almost a blind turn because you're coming over this hill and imagine, you know, three, four cars 
going abreast into that corner, especially at the front. It's going to be spectacular. So Magello's a good one to get behind. Sochi, yeah, you don't need to hear my views on Sochi because it probably mirrors all of your views as well. So unless you're one of those people who like, oh, I love Sochi. Then again, I'm one of those people who like, you know, Albert Park. Maybe, I don't know. I know there's a bit of hate for Albert Park out there because it's kind of um, brought some boring races over the years. But hey, it's my local track or local F1 track, that is. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, Albert Park's closer to me than Sandown. So yeah, it is my closest uh, technical racetrack, but it's not a permanent racetrack. I can't go there and line up the tyres, you know, put in the fast laps, you know, the cyclists and ducks around <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do that. Um, so those races have been added to the calendar. You kind of just by reading the news and figuring things out for yourself, seeing what's going on in the world, will probably understand that China is unlikely to happen this year, given that they've put a blanket ban on um, any kind of international events, sporting events, anything happening in the country this year. So you're going to have to rule that one out. And then given that that's not going to happen Singapore's out of the question as well Um, Japan I think has been out of you know has been cancelled as well you're not going to come as much as F1 would love to you're not going to come all the way to this side of the world just to go to Vietnam you know Um, you're going to probably want to stay close to where you've got a clump of races and America as well now looks very unlikely given their situation hasn't really improved, so, you know, there was the possibility of going to Canada, then, you know, Circuit of the Americas, and then your your South, uh, you know, your Central American and South American events in uh, Mexico and Brazil. So, maybe a few more races in Europe, and then try and finish the season off with a doubleheader in Bahrain, maybe a doubleheader in Abu Dhabi. Who knows? Who knows? But good to have Magello on there. Ferrari. Well, <laughs> it's not a curious case of. It's a case of what the what is going on, you know? Like, you can say point fingers, this and that, but they just need to get results. They just need to turn things around. You know, they've got two great drivers. Whether last year was a fluke, their results as far as having that trick engine is concerned that's gonna possibly bite them in the backside a bit further but if I were Carlos Sainz I would be like I kind of don't want to drive for you guys anymore I want to stay at McLaren (laughs) yes Carlos we want you back we want you back um yeah you know it's it's hard to sum up like I'm not the biggest Ferrari fan and I couldn't give a toss if they're doing this badly but given that it's Ferrari and it's, you know, the biggest F1 team or whatever throughout history, you got to be like, well, if they're spending all this money, you know, and they've got this presence about them, then they're going to need to get some results. You know, we've been waiting since 2007 for a title. You know, Alonso came close and that was because of his own Herculean efforts that we saw him get close. You know, 2010, I guess, Petrov, that was just unlucky but 2012 you know if Ferrari had a better car from the outset then we would have seen you know the three points that he lost the title to Vettel by in Brazil would have been a different story altogether so you know there's one title there and then even Seb 
when he, you know, 2017, 2018, first half of the season, yeah, it looked like it was going to happen. Second half of the season, nah, sorry. Um, and that was, you know, due to driver error and also team error, you know, not just the car being slow, but everywhere. Strategy was all over the place. Um, pit stops, slow, just no, what do you call it? Not a well-oiled machine like Mercedes is, for example, and I could wax lyrical about them all day and all night, you know, because they are the best team. Um, they've been the best in every single department and then when you look at other teams who are kind of getting to that level Red Bull have been always there but they've been kind of held back by you know car and reliability power unit and all that sort of stuff McLaren have been very efficient as well and now we're starting to see them rebuild into not exactly you know title winning force just yet but they are you know taking those steps and I'm still riding high they're second in the constructors championship and Lando's third in the Drivers' Championship, so we're going to milk that for as long as we can. And then Racing Point as well, when they transform into Aston Martin next year. You know, that Silverstone team has always been a well-oiled um, little little group there, you know, always operating on a shoestring budget, but making the most of it, you know, being the most cost-effective and everything. And even though they've got, you know, last year's Mercedes that they're going to use for the next two seasons... At least it'll give them the opportunity to be planning for 2022, you know, when the major rule change comes. They're not going to be able to copy Mercedes then. So, you know, teams like them in such good positions for for when these changes come. But the teams that are not adapting and, you know, there's been criticism towards Matteo Bonotto. It's easy to point fingers at the, the person in charge, but, you know, not knowing the full story. Like, I was always a bit curious as to why... They had to sack Maurizio Rivabene. I thought he was always, you know, he was a people person, this, that, and, you know, very diplomatic and everything, but, you know, probably stuff behind the scenes. Bonotto seems more like, you know, an engineer kind of, you know, he's behind the scenes kind of person. But, you know, he's got a good relationship, it seems, with Leclerc, uh, as we found out, because apparently he didn't even offer Vettel a new contract for 2021. So, um, yeah, I think you don't want to say give them time because they've had time. They've had plenty of time to be able to get into a championship winning force again. But something's got to give. They've got to be able to produce something sooner or later. Otherwise, you know, there's going to be questions. There's going to be scrutiny. There's going to be pressure. And, you know, Sergio Marchione, he was not afraid to, to mince his words and say, look, you know, if, um, you know, they're not going to be good at what they're doing, then I don't have to keep funding an F1 program. Ferrari can do other stuff. So there you go. And unfortunately, Sergio, not around anymore. Um, rest in peace. A, but he did love his racing, which was good. So what say of the Grand Prix? Yeah, look, Mercedes, I think it's hard to go past them. But I would love a surprise. I would like a surprise, like we did in Supercars a couple of weeks ago, or it's been actually a month now. Time is flying at the moment, which is both a good and a bad thing, but, you know, you can figure that out for yourselves. Um, Good surprise in the Supercars Sydney Super Sprint last time. We've got the Sydney Super Sprint number two this weekend. Same format, three 32-lap races. There's the two-part qualifying on Saturday with the top 15 shootout and then you've got the two qualifying sessions for the two races on Sunday 
Only difference is the Saturday race will be starting at 6.25pm. It'll be done under lights, first night race in Sydney since 2018, and that obviously brings its own challenge with you know conditions being much cooler in the night you know driving under lights as well puts focus more on driver instinct too you know you talk about um or you hear them talk about how you know they're trying to follow the other car but it's hard visibility wise it's hard visibility wise to see track limits as well so whole new um ball game as far as that concerned and it's just really entertaining you know i love it when they rock up with the neon lights under the cars you know get that old (laughs) fast and furious vibe you know from the early 2000s uh, those original movies when they were were at their peak before they started getting a bit too over the top (laughs) yeah it's it's not for me anymore i think i liked the first two and that was about it tokyo drift was okay (laughs) and after that i kind of lost in lost interest um so that you know brings its own challenge which will be exciting and then you look at the tires as well which were the talking point after the last time we went racing we've got the same rules this time five sets which are 20 20 tires per driver though they've divided it up you know it's not going to be just five sets of soft tires they've got two sets of softs and three sets of hards for the weekend so Again, how teams use that and how drivers choose to use that will be key. Are they going to sacrifice a race worth the results to be able to get a stronger result in another race? So like we saw Nick Perkat do in the uh, the second race in the last Sydney Super Sprint, ended up sacrificing tyres from a previous race to be able to... Um, you know, get a good result in the second race, which ended up being the win. And even Lee Holdsworth, who went... Um, you know, for for a stunning drive to the podium on on Sunday as well in the third race. So, be interesting to see how they all manage this across the weekend. You know, whether there's going to be more chaos and carnage too. Uh, but a lot of the, I guess, talking points around coming into this weekend is the heightened concern about the latest COVID outbreaks, and that doesn't you know just include victoria where i am and where you know i said last time the supercars teams based here had to pretty much run for the border you know with very little notice before they shut the borders between new south wales and victoria but even over there in sydney now um and quite close to the circuit too two of the the two suburbs that they've locked down apparently do are adjacent to where Sydney Motorsport Park is based, so there's a bit of concern about that. There's been increased testing anyway, so teams and personnel, drivers, they're all getting tested. And I did, you know, I knew that they would have to do this as well as, you know, originally they had planned for fans to be at this track um, for this weekend, 10,000 they were going to try and get, but today they announced that that's not going to happen. They've pulled all the ticket sales and said, no, we're not going to take any chances with that, which, you know, hats off, that's the best thing you can do at the moment because it's certainly not getting any better. Like, particularly here in Victoria, it's just... It's just skyrocketing, you know, you got <laughs> at least, well now it's become like 200 cases a day coming out overnight, so it's, yeah, um, and after this weekend when they do finish up in Sydney, they're going to relocate uh, all the teams to Queensland, try and get a hub up in Queensland, and a lot of sports are doing this as well, AFL now having to relocate completed, completely to Queensland, and NRL maybe might have to do that as well, uh, so yeah, it's just, 
you know, the second wave is hitting us really hard and uh, <laughs> whispers about, about you know, going into to stage four lockdown, which, I'm, you know, fortunately for us, we haven't had to do at this stage, but um, other countries around the world, you know, New Zealand, talking to Dino, um, when they were in that lockdown about what it was like and everything, uh, you know, guy, people I know in the UK as well, you know, keep me informed about what was going on there at the time too. And I'm like, wow, you know, I'm quite fortunate here that we're able to still have certain levels of freedom and everything, but, you know, not to abuse that freedom, which a lot of people have done. And that's what's got us into this mess again. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, exciting to, to watch some racing. I think that's been a good distraction anyway the last couple of weeks and especially on the weekends when, you know, you normally want to socialise and, you know, hang out with mates and everything. Yeah, come on over. Let's, uh, you know, smoke up some ribs or something, do a barbecue or whatever. You know, there's there's mates I haven't seen <laughs> going back to March, I think, since... Um, since before the Grand Prix, you know, the cancelled Australian Grand Prix, so there you go, um, but yeah, racing is what keeps us going, and keeps us all connected, and stuff like that, so really happy for that, uh, interesting, got a, got a record here that Scotty McLaughlin is in line to breaking this weekend, if he pulls off, you know, uh, three-peat, you know, if he goes and sweeps the event, um, He's on 46 wins at the moment, which is sixth in the all-time list. Uh, Peter Brock, 48 wins in total. He's fifth in the all-time list. So if Scotty gets two wins this weekend, he equals Brocky's record. uh, And an extra win, third win, if he does it this weekend, it'll take him beyond Brocky, put him fifth all-time. So good on him. You know, Scotty's done a good job. He's... uh, (laughs) You know, to think he was going to be doing IndyCar this year as well, you know, doing a couple of races, that's going to be on hold. So more more records for him to break in supercars. And, you know, I've got my, hopefully, tip on him to, to win a third title this year. But it's going to be tough when you look at, you know, the form that we saw from Jamie Wincup in the first, Adela- not <laughs> well, in Adelaide and also um, the Sydney Motorsport Park weekend gone last month and of course Shane Van Gisbergen you can't rule him out either so it'll be it'll be a good weekend again and I can't wait for the night race all right well you know winding things down now just quickly brief over some uh IndyCar stuff MotoGP as well which you know will be exciting to watch it's gonna be this is the one benefit of F1 now being an hour later even though it is a pain in the backside uh, you know, getting staying up till one thirty sometimes in the morning um, <laughs> is that you know MotoGP when they have a clash um, and they're in Europe as well. You know, they start at the traditional ten p.m. time or two p.m. European time, whatever it is. So, be good to see them at the uh, Spanish Grand Prix this year, Jerez. Um, but what I wanted to talk about was more so rider movement because there's been a bit more for 2021 uh, HRC, Honda Racing Corporation, the factory Honda team. They've confirmed their lineup for next year. Mark Marquez will not be alongside his brother Alex. It'll be Paul Spargo. So I don't know if it was the worst kept secret <laughs> this year or, you know, you put two and two together when KTM announced their lineup for next year and Paul Spargo's name was not on there. 
And it was heavily rumoured back then that he would be a shot contender to replace Alex Marquez at um, Repsol Honda. So that's going to happen. And it's a good signing for them because Pole is a rider who, you know, we've seen his, you know, sparks of his talent since he came in. You know, he's, you know, when he was with Tech 3 Yamaha, then went over to KDM factory team as well. And he's kind of been in the midfield or to the rear of the field with KDM still developing. Now is his chance. Now is his chance to, you know, show what we've all been expecting and waiting to see from him. You know, we're on a on a um, front running bike, and against his old rival from Moto Three as well in Moto Two. So you know, there was fierce rivalry between these guys back in the day. So reigniting a bit of that. Alex Marquez, I kind of I'm not going to say. Look, you know, it's unfair that he's been pushed aside um given that it's only been the season hasn't even started and um you know they've already made the call i think this year what it'll be is it'll be a good learning year for him on that factory honda bike he will still be on a factory bike next year but he'll be at um, lcr so the the satellite team in place of cal crutchlow so a bit of a learning year for him it'll be good you know that he'll get dropped in the deep end with you know the factory team the team to beat and it'll probably make him better for it next year when he's at LCR so that will be good you know and he's pretty much made it to MotoGP now so now we've got to see the results from him Cal Crutchlow bit disappointing you got to say because I thought he would see out his career with LCR Honda now it looks like he's looking for a ride elsewhere uh I didn't think there was anything wrong with that relationship either so this kind of came out of the blue a little bit maybe something behind the scenes which uh I didn't really keep abreast of or anything so who knows but um he's looking for a ride Aprilia has been mentioned so he could step in there um in place of Andrea Inoni who is still serving his doping van ban not doping van <laughs> serving his doping van um no serving his doping van and no that's not a business opportunity while he's uh, serving that ban he is pretty business savvy anyway he's got other stuff that he does sort of he's all over instagram don't like what he's done with a plastic surgery anyway <laughs> and um with yamaha franco morbidelli confirmed uh, for another couple of years at the patronus srt satellite team which is good you can expect them to make a call or, you know, announcement to come soon for Valentino Rossi to partner him there for next year. But, you know, all in good time. Rossi could still retire, which would be rather sad because, you know, I don't get to see him at Phillip Island this year. Yeah, that would be sad. So hopefully he goes around another year and next year we can go down to Phillip Island and, and watch the doctor race for if it is the last time then so be it and then yeah IndyCar you know had a double header at Road America over the weekend Scott Dixon ended up getting his hat trick so he won the first three races races of the season had a good battle with Will Power um, ended up getting a better pit stop and finished ahead of his uh, his Aussie rival there so I love it how you know you got a Kiwi and an Aussie you know at the top of IndyCar it's so good. And then his teammate, Felix Rosenquist, who highly, highly regarded driver, highly rated. I'm a big fan. Um, shame that he didn't get into F1, but hey, you know, F1's lost his IndyCar's gain and he got his maiden win, you know, for Chip Ganassi Racing. So Ganassi having a good run at the moment in IndyCar, obviously with 
Dixon scoring a hat-trick of wins and uh, Rosenquist getting his first win there in race four. Um, Felix ended up beating McLaren's Patrizio Award, uh, who started on the pole position, and then uh, Alexander Rossi finished third, and he's had a nightmarish start in his own words. I think that was the quote he used, but yeah, it's been a nightmare of a start to his season. He's a guy that who has been in championship contention the last couple of years and has fallen short, unfortunately. And yeah, I'm a big fan, so I want to see him do well as well. But um, yeah, he finished on the podium in that fourth race. So hopefully you think that this would be the kickstart that he needs to his season. And a good result there for the uh, Aaron McLaren SP team as well in their first year as McLaren. So yeah, wall-to-wall racing. You know, I think eventually you might tire out from all this racing but hey we're we're riding high at the moment it's as i said before it's the one thing that's kind of keeping us going um you know if you don't like racing and you're stuck here in in melbourne or sydney in lockdown then hope you got some other hobbies <laughs> they're gonna keep that are gonna keep you busy but um yeah it's it's been it's been good in that sense but um other than that just yeah the usual stay safe stay out of trouble um if you guys are you know, here doing it a bit tough, then you know, don't f- don't be shy to speak up. You know, get out, reach out on Twitter or anything, um, and yeah, just in general, take care of yourselves, and uh, we'll see you next week. Cheers. <laughs>